Welcome to episode 16 of the Cake Watch podcast, the podcast where we watch cake. My name is Chris Kendall. I am an EU official, also known as a Eurocrat, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here in a strictly personal capacity. Steve, uh, can you stop munching that hummus for a second and tell us about you? Sorry, I'm I'm eating a a felt cracker with with hummus um, to show that I'm not uh, part of the middle class elite. Um, I'm Steve Bullock. I'm uh, uh, ex-negotiator for the UK in the EU, and now a Brexit geek for Alan Smith, MEP. And we're not in the usual podcast dungeon. No. Uh, nor am I sat here in, in my pants at my kitchen table. Uh, we are. Although again, you are wearing pants. I am wearing, You're pants, wearing trousers over them. But I am yes. wearing trousers yes. as well, and it's a very, very good thing too because we are here in the presence of a guest, a second guest, second guest. Uh, this guest is a friend of ours, um, somebody we know here in Brussels, uh, Laura Shields, also known on Twitter as MediaWiz. And we are sitting in her kitchen eating her hummus and spelt crackers and drinking wine and not being remotely liberally. No. Laura. Wow. What an introduction. Thanks, Chris. Um, yes, well, delighted to be here. Very glad that you are also wearing trousers. Well, delighted pants. that we're here, not that you're here, because I mean, you live here. Well, I'm actually quite delighted to be here too. It's been quite a long week. But yes, I'm delighted that you're here in my kitchen eating all my liberal Ramona food. So it's wonderful. <laughs> Do I need to introduce myself now or are you going to come back on to why I'm actually on the show? No, no. T- tell us why you're here. Okay. So um, in my very little amount of spare time that I have, I do press for British in Europe, which is the main umbrella group or the super group, if you like, that represents the 1.3 million British people living across the EU 27. So that's people like me, people like Steve, half of Chris, <laughs> <laughs> which half, hopefully the half that's not upper, in... Definitely the upper, the upper, upper half, the other half definitely. Uh, but basically all the British people um, living across the continent who are bargaining chips, really, in the Brexit negotiations and you don't hear so much about. So I badgered Chris and Steve to let me come and talk yeah because um we haven't really talked about citizens citizens rights and, and nobody cares well we did, well obviously we care <laughs> yeah, okay. but um no it's important that we do talk about it and tell us why this week's a crucial one well this week's crucial i mean every week's crucial to be honest but um this week's particularly crucial because tomorrow our british and europe team or speakers from our team along with the three million because we work very closely with the three million which represents the three million EU nationals or citizens, because you can't have EU nationals, can you? EU citizens living yes, in... Yes, the EU is a nation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are only two minutes into the program. Um, Chris has mentioned federalism federalism already. Chris the federalist, <laughs> as I have... Yeah, I'll come back to that later on. Anyway, so, no, we are in front of the select committee for exiting the EU tomorrow. So giving oral evidence, which sounds quite dodgy, saying it like that. But yes, that's how it's described, giving oral evidence to the select committee in the House of Commons for exiting the EU. And the reason why this is a big deal is because it's only the second time that citizens' rights have been discussed. Only the second, really? I think so. Or it's only the second time, certainly, that British and Europe have been invited to speak. The last time was even before the the negotiations started. It was in January last year. 
and it focused largely on pensioners because that's what always happens. That's the stereotype, you know, rightly or wrongly, that people have about Brits living on the continent. And the media doesn't really help because every time there's a story about yes. us, they flash up a picture. Actually, so usually, people in white bowling. Yeah. yeah, either they're white or they're bowling or the man from Del Monte. Yeah, they're growing Jim grapes. Yeah. Um, they're, 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 they've cashed in all their shares or they show and they've Br- gone to move to um, Dordogne and their peat mail. Or they show Brits on holiday. So they do the kind of you yeah. know Brits on the beach, but it doesn't really help because the point is that 80% of us are working age or younger. Yeah, yeah. So there's a big stereotype, but I could talk about this all day. Well, you, you, there'll you'll be, be more opportunities and I'm going to be quiet now. Well, yeah, be quiet now because before we get on to that hot topic, we've got some hot takes to deliver. We've got breaking news, Chris. We have yeah. actual breaking news. So go on, Steve. Uh, so there seems to have been an amendment, uh, <clears throat> I think as we're, as we're recording this, about to be tabled, but it seems pretty sure that it is going to be tabled by the Labour front bench to add a clause to the EU... Withdrawal bill. Withdrawal bill. Oh, God, that's terrible. Sorry. Uh, To add a clause to the EU withdrawal bill, uh, saying that the UK should remain in... But this is it, isn't it? It doesn't say it should remain in the single market. It says, it shall be a negotiating objective of Her Majesty's Government to ensure the United Kingdom has full access to the internal market of the European Union, underpinned by shared institutions and regulations, with no new impediments to trade and common rights, Standards and protections as a minimum. As a minimum. Now, that look, is a let, very high bar. Because let's unpick yeah. this. Because my initial reaction to this was actually like, "Oh shit, this is a game changer." I mean, this is this is if if, if Corbyn whips for this, this seems to be a completely giving in to Keir Starmer. But B, this is this is more than the EEA mm. because we're talking about shared institutions and regulations. We're talking about you know this as a minimum, mm-hmm. right? So no, no new impediments. No new be, impediments. So it has to be all sectors. It can't, you can't right. exclude fisheries right. and agriculture. So this, to me, I mean, now, quickly looking at some other hot takes, because I was instantly slapped down by people who, who were far more cynical and saying that I was being ridiculously naive and optimistic. But even if... And we are known, I mean, me and Chris are known for, for being unduly optimistic about Brexit generally as well. So. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, even if this is cherry-picking and... Um, further sort of Corbyn sort of positioning in order just to try and keep things rolling, keep things together. If this is indeed uh, finally adopted into the legislation, into the bill, I mean, whether it's cherry picking or not, the only way to actually deliver this, as far as I can tell, is by membership. No? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends if you believe there is something between the EEA and EU membership. And... I mean, I would say, I, well, we've said we've said all along that there, that you know, single market single market membership off the shelf, maybe on maybe, well, maybe on the, maybe on the table and maybe possible, but there isn't a better deal available than that other than no. other than membership, unless it's some kind of associate membership status which nobody's really been talking about yet, and which frankly, I don't think anybody really wants. Like, no, I don't think well, certainly not now. So it's it, it looks it looks it's either. A, a, a massive game changer uh, from Labour, or it's more ultra cakeism. And of course, ultra cake. Occam's Razor says it's more ultra cakeism. But but even yeah. if it is, if it's in the if it's in the withdrawal bill and it's legislation, and if you do take this, if you do take this, he's playing the long game thing and moving slice by slice by slice. And this is clearly a, a move. 
What's interesting, though, is that there's, uh, there's already an amendment on the EEA and requiring it to be a negotiating object for, objective for the UK to be a member of the EEA coming back from the Lords. And what the rumours seem to be on Twitter is that the... I think Laura Kusenberg said it, that the, the rumour is that they will abstain on the EEA amendment and then back this amendment. But this is more than the EEA. But the likelihood is that they could... But the, the argument is that they may have been tabling this knowing that it'll never get through. Well, well, why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it, yeah. Because people support the EEA, EEA amendment looking at this... I mean, this has been this has been written to arouse suspicion and not have clarity. I mean, we have access, full access to the internal market of the European well, Union. Okay, I mean, there's, the, a, there's the, again, there's the refusal to use membership of the but, membership of the single market there, and the idea that there's something, you know, there's there's something called full access to it aside from membership of it. But do you not think they're lining up to drop full access? As in, they've got this lovely clause that comes at the end, and full access they have to keep it in for the time being as a bridge, but eventually it could just get to the point where they drop it, but it's still consistent. Oh, and it becomes, it becomes access. Well, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then it becomes. Which can mean anything. And then it becomes to, and then it becomes. <laughs> well, no, I mean, okay, clearly the, the troubling words here are access. Our word is access. Yeah, absolutely. access to but, me because but, I mean, of course, access is. I mean, every, everybody's got access. For Corbyn said today, even North Korea. Yeah, exactly. Belarus has access, but um, he, Corbyn said today that Norway, the Norway, a Norway type EA arrangement wasn't good. Wasn't good enough, yeah. and he wanted a better arrangement than that. Well, I would take this over the EA amendment any day. But but the, but it is but it is a form of kicker because it's not on the it's not on the table. There isn't that the EU is not going to give better uh, better terms to the UK than it gives to Norway and Iceland. I mean, what this does also presupposes that Corbyn actually knows what he's talking about. What this does presuppose is that Corbyn actually knows what he's talking about, though. Which but it's we also signed by Keir Starmer, yeah, and Barry Gardner, which does cast out of it, obviously, but. But it is signed by Keir Starmer, and Keir Starmer mm. does generally know what he's talking about. In any, I mean, he, exactly. I mean, and, and you know, but Keir, what, Corbyn, sorry, whichever way you cut it, it seems to me that this is a game changer because up until this point, we were looking at a Labour front bench that was going to whip its its parliament its parliamentary members to oppose Lords' amendments, whereas now all of a sudden we're looking at a front bench Labour amendment, which effectively, as far as I read it, it gives us. I mean, whether or not it's cakeism, it it says that they are now going to whip in favour of something. Well, I think that's true. I think it looks it it definitely looks like a major shift in policy, whatever the details of it. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right about that. So yes. I do yeah. think that this is something. This I I've been feeling this week. And I've been on a bit of an upswing this week. So last week we were on a downer, and this oh, week, yes. <laughs> this week I've just got that feeling of, you know, the momentum behind a, fi- a, 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 a final say and a people's vote, I think, is really building. You're seeing a lot of um, major levers hugely on the back foot mm. and, and, and even giving up some of them look as if they're just walking away from it. People like Hannon and so on. Oh, they're definitely trying to sort of disassociate yeah. themselves from it as Do far think? as possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm really feeling, I'm it's feeling it's very like, much on the front foot. feeling the love. Oh, it's all, oh, but, it's all, but it's all, but it's all, it's all, you're getting all of this, what David Allen Green always says, that's not my Brexit stuff. Yeah. So that's not my Brexit. The, uh, the anti-immigrant rhetoric is too, is too harsh. That's not my Brexit. I wanted access, I wanted full access to the single market, you know? Um, and this is the, the this is the, the, the promotion of the myth that had it all be done, had it all been done the way 
X wanted it to be done, oh. Brexit would have actually been fabulous. But the problem with it is that it's been screwed up. Now, <laughs> obviously, it has been screwed up, and it could been... have been less horrific than it is. But uh, but uh, <laughs> it's also not the case that it would have been it would have been wonderful if it had been being run by uh, pro after people either. I've just been assaulted by a cat. Invaded by an immigrant. Um, what I was going to say was... For that, those of you watching in black and white, Chris has a cat sitting on him. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say was, though, it's, it's like those Dominic Cummings extended... Well, yeah, that, well, that's part of yeah, it. He, he totally. kicked off this round of... Massive, massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of one-sided. But, I mean, every you know, we could have said this at the time. It's what they're asking for is completely unrealistic and unimplementable. But also, yeah, absolutely. Project Blame is also in full swing now. Yeah. And that that's a sure sign that they're... It's all falling apart. Yeah. I mean, we're not even there yet, and they're already fully engaged in project blame. And you don't start blaming people for things when you think it's going well. No. You, you take the, know, you British. take the no, but you take the you take the credit for stuff when it's when it's going well. You say, well, you know, without us, we wouldn't have, be having this glorious freedom and prosperity. You don't start saying this is all a catastrophe, um, and it was nothing to do with me, which is effectively what 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 people have been saying. Right, but it's, I mean, basically our hot take, because we, we can't go on too long, our hot take is whether this is everything that we want it to be or not, this is still a major, major development uh, and potentially a game changer. Oh, undoubtedly, yeah. I, m- my worry about this, is that, I mean, if you look at the Lord's Amendment, we're not doing a, we're not doing it on Lord's Amendment, maybe, maybe we should have done it on Lord's Amendment this week, actually, but... Um, on the the most important Lord's Amendment, in my view, is the one which gives Parliament the power to direct the government um, in the event that either the the uh, withdrawal agreement isn't given assent by the the motion isn't given assent by the Commons, or <clears throat> in the event that certain deadlines aren't met for agreements to be for agreements to be made. Yeah. And I think this is actually the in terms of remaining in terms of getting uh, people's vote on the deal. Uh, I think this is actually the really, really important amendment. What I think this might do is, firstly, it says it should be a negotiating objective. You miss negotiating objectives. You don't have to meet a negotiating objective. You have to have it as an objective. You can easily have it as an objective and then fail to meet and, it. And fail, fail, fail to meet it. Um, so, so there's there's a, there's a uh, so it's, there's a lot of vagueness built into this. Whereas the amendment about Parliament being able to direct the government in the event of no deal, in the event that um, a withdrawal agreement isn't made by a certain date, uh, in the in the event that there isn't parliament, parliamentary assent on the withdrawal agreement, uh, this is very concrete. This isn't vague at all. This is very, 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 very concrete. I mean, okay. so, my, so my worry actually is that uh, rallying, support for the, rallying support behind this will be used to avoid... Uh, to avoid supporting the other more, actually, in my view, potentially more more important amendments. And well, the okay, EA so agreement is, 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 uh, is much clearer than this one as well. So. Okay. All right. Well, okay, that's a fair point. But, I mean, on the other hand, I mean, as a minimum, you know, putting as yeah, a minimum... But it does say as a minimum. That and, is and, a very high value, right? Yeah, I mean, my... I mean, so I'm coming at it, obviously, I, I, I'm not coming at it as an experienced a Whitehall negotiator, but, I mean, as an EU negotiator, when you have... Parliament or, or the Council giving you negotiating directives, which are negotiating objectives, you must deliver something that meets those objectives. If not, you know, so you, you know what you're, they, they effectively become red lines. It's so maybe I'm, but maybe it, I'm, but I'm it's reading un, too but, much into it then. Well, yeah, because it's, unenfor- it's, it's unenforceable. 
Uh, where it's not an enforceable for well, I mean, it's, it's not an enforceable for the commission. No, but what you could say is that um, okay, Parliament has adopted this amendment. So if you, if you, what you come up with at the end doesn't fulfil this amendment. No or, if the gov- or if the government was not seen to, to actually take it seriously. Well, not, I, mean, I think it's more than that, isn't it? Surely it's if they do not deliver a, a, a final outcome that meets those criteria, it's not going to be... A, a, well, a Parliament can't, a pro- can't, Parliament well, can't well, approve it's it. It's my objective to be thin, but I don't put much effort into it. Okay, but see, I'm coming at it from a slightly different... You know, I... Listen, um, in, the other one I wanted to... So we, so, uh, Laura just made her face up. The bars will be closed, Chris, and you'll still be talking about amendments. Yeah. Listen, let's, um, let's move it on to citizens' rights, because uh, this is actually also interesting from the point of view of citizens' rights, because it's Absolutely. talking about the internal market, in other words, the four freedoms, huh? Yeah, and I mean, we know that you can't... I mean, if this, if, if this was cast iron, then it, we know the four freedoms are indivisible, and therefore we would have to include... Uh, the equivalent rights to an EU citizen, which are almost identical to an EU citizen. The main one being free movement, exactly, which is so, obviously the really contested and much maligned uh, freedom in the UK because it's often associated unfairly with uh, immigration um, and pushing down wages and, you know... Absolutely. People keep telling me, you see on Twitter all the time, you know... We're, but we need a solution where we can renegotiate, where we can renegotiate free movement. Oh, and don't get me started. And, and you, you say, no, no, free, free movement is a positive thing for me. Yeah. The, idea, the idea that we could limit it's free movement is a, is a massively negative. Well, well no, I, no, completely. But Steve, you and I, well, you came here with the government and so did you, but you're now a free mover and mm. so am I. And Chris completely understands the value of it as well, which is it's always been a two-way street. But also, I come from I, mean, I come from a, a, a very poor area of the UK, South Shields in the, the northeast. And well, I mean, people did people have travelled for for work across Europe. The idea that it's it's something that only gap year students do, or it's something that only rich people do, or it's something that only pensioners do, is absolutely insane. I mean, exactly. Exactly, Avidas Impet is essentially a. a a documentary of, of what people who had no other option went went and did. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, this is what Nigel Lawson said. We can talk about Nigel Lawson. Um, do we have to? Oh, do we have well, to? we can, because hopefully he'll have a tough time registering in France. But, you know, anyway, that's... Well, everybody seems to be, so I'm hoping he... Well, we'll talk about that later time. on, exactly, not the session. But um, here's, uh, you know, the, the sort of Brexiteer argument, and certainly the one that was perpetuated ad nauseum, have a cracker. I know it was too loud. Sorry, I didn't want to. It was the equivalent of interrupting. I'm going to break off my monologue so that Hang Steve. On. You can might have actually a get my actual ability here, this on it. <laughs> what have I done? Um, yeah, so anyway, so one of the leading Brexiteer arguments, uh, which I personally think was designed to suppress the Remain vote and was also designed to suppress the votes of any British people who still had them, who lived out of the UK, who had lived out of the UK for more than 15 years was that there would be no um, restrictions on the ability of British people uh, to live and work and study, retire, whatever you want to call it, Mm. in the EU after Brexit. And that would apply to people like Steve and me, but it would also apply to people who wanted to do it in the future. The argument being that British people have always lived in Europe. Well, 
Yes, they have, but it was a lot harder. There wasn't a freedom there. It wasn't an automatic right. There was a lot of paperwork, and usually you had to have a lot of money. So this is where I get quite annoyed when you hear people like Michael Gove saying the EU has always been a project of the elites. And it's like, no, the EU... The elite have always been able to live in Yeah, and they will still be able to after Brexit. People with money are still going to be able to live, work, study, retire abroad. People like Nigel Lawson, whereas people who come from lower-income backgrounds or perhaps mess up their A-levels like my friend Dave, who couldn't get into university in the UK, and then actually went and studied in the Netherlands. And Oh, I read his, I read yeah. his post on Twitter. It was excellent. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, he went off, he was he messed up his A-levels, didn't really want to go to university, couldn't go to university in the UK, and then found out he could go and study and work at the same time, which is very mm. important. Um, in the Netherlands, and he learnt five languages, got a great degree, <laughs> and now has a job in Antwerp. Yeah. He's doing really, really well, but these opportunities are not going to be available after Brexit. Mm. So free movement is an amazing thing. And, and the, we the, don't hear enough of it, of the benefits of it. Yeah. But it wasn't even just the free movement. I remember the, the first time I met you, Laura, was at a meeting of, uh, of lawyers in mainly lawyers in Brussels. And political groups. And political groups in Brussels, which was, what, about two weeks after the... This is when I scolded you. When you scolded me. For yeah. The, yeah. But then you did point out that that's quite normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> he didn't know who I was because it didn't make any difference that I was the one who'd scolded him. <laughs> yeah, it was quite normal to be scolded. But, um, and emotions running very high. But, but it was the lawyer. But what I was shocked by at that meeting, very, very quickly after the referendum was that everything that had been said about the Vienna Convention uh, and, and this stuff was absolute bullshit. I mean, none of that was remotely, remotely true. Well, we should talk about the Vienna Convention, because um, it's my big beef, really. Right. Well, explain what, what you mean. What's, so tell us about the myth. So, the myth acquired rights, isn't it? Yeah. So again, I'm not a lawyer, and this is where I would probably have the lawyers in my organisation <laughs> sort of running, you know... For the seller, probably. To yeah, hide. because of course we are widely listened to. A bit like we're a bit like the BBC Today program. So yeah, widely widely listened to. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, the point is the Vienna Convention is a legal treaty between states, and this is the mm. key point, which talks about protecting acquired rights in the in the context of international treaty change uh, or wars and things along those lines. And it was widely circulated by the Brexiteers in advance of the referendum. I mean, it's, they started circulating this argument in 2015, you know, and they used a phrase that I hate, expats. Uh, expats have nothing to fear. Um, I mean, Brexit. I thought that was true at the referendum. Lots of people did think I, I, I it was, was true. true. I have someone told me that in parts of Spain, there were, because, you know, British people who live on the continent are not monolithic. They, you know, there were people who live on the continent who have voted for Brexit, you know, for whatever reason. That's their crazy decision, in my opinion, but they're entitled to do it. But there were people who were wearing T-shirts saying, Nigel told me that the Energy Convention would protect me. Jesus, mm. was on T-shirts. Yeah. Oh, God, and it's all to do with acquired rights. And you have people like Michael Gove, right. like uh, Boris Johnson, uh Matthew Elliott, who was the chair of Vote Leave, or the yeah. CEO, I get confused, I think he was a CEO, wasn't he? Yeah. Saying that the Vienna Convention would protect individuals and all of our rights and all the rights of the EU citizens in the UK and of us living in Europe. So four and a half million people would be completely guaranteed after Brexit and that nothing would change. They this, really are a shower of <laughs> This is the technical description. This was not true. 
Okay. Yeah, it wasn't true at all. It mainly applies to property. I can read. It it doesn't even matter. It's between states. It's between states. It's not about people. So it's it's about about how the UK keeps embassy in Brussels. It's total bollocks. Basically, yeah, yeah. and anybody, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but even I know this and you read it. So this was put about, and I think it's really important to state this because I know people who still think it's true. Yeah. Mm. But you know, but this is the, this And we is haven't it. talked about why it's not okay. We need to talk about why people are not yeah. okay in this. No. Well, what, well, why, we don't you give us, why don't you give us an update of where we stand on citizens' rights? All right, so where things stand at the moment is people may, quick one minute history, citizens' rights were part of the terms that the EU set as for the withdrawal agreement. So the three things that they wanted settled were the divorce bill. So we've agreed to pay, what is it, 60 billion? Or is it 40 billion? Well, people keep saying 39 million pounds, but it's much more than that. Okay, Northern Ireland border (laughs) issue, um, you know, the Good Friday Agreement stuff, and then citizens' rights. So basically what full protection or supposedly what happens to the 3 million in the UK and us over here in Europe. And both Theresa May and Michelle Barnier and all the Brexiters said that they wanted us to be able to carry on our lives exactly as though Brexit hadn't happened. Exactly the same rights. Exactly the same rights. Nothing would change. Now, at the time, everybody thought the money was going to be the really big deal. Then Ireland blew up. um, And then with sort of citizens' rights, basically, I'm going to say something fairly undiplomatic, but both the EU and the UK were desperate to look to find a way to show progress in December. And we were the bit that was talked up as relative progress because yes, they had agreed Mm. on some things in relation to our rights, but just because the deal was agreed doesn't make it good for the people have to live Mm. with it. Mm. And the bottom line is, is that for somebody like Steve, somebody like me, we are basically allowed to stay and work in Belgium and live here and get benefits. And that's great if you don't need to move Mm for work or family, but because, as I said before, 80% of us are working age or younger, we've surveyed our members, about two-thirds of them need to move across borders for work. Two-thirds? Yeah. Wow. I need to. I make half my money outside Belgium. You're a guitar tech. Mm-hmm. You need to move. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. Mo- so at the moment, we don't have that. Mm-hmm. We're losing our free movement cross-border working rights. We're not losing them. They haven't been guaranteed, and they've been kicked into the phase two agreement where we think they're going to get lost under rows over airline slots and fish. So, I mean, let, let me throw my... So, I'm feeling a bit left out here because you two uh, are talking about the horrors that you face, which are real and, and meaningful. Um, and I'm lucky because I'm one of the lucky guys. I'm, I'm, I've got the, the magical EU passport. I've got a German passport as well as a British passport. But then but, your mum... Exactly. My mum's one of the three million. Mm. My mum is... Uh, I, we, is in denial about the whole thing uh, and I think many of my family members are too if I'm yeah, perfectly honest a lot are and um, do not see it as being applicable to her at mm. all um, and haven't really haven't really get, given any thought to applying for permanent residency or British nationality or anything like that why would she um, and I remember very clearly um, the Sunday, because my, my mother's a churchgoer, and, and the Sunday after the referendum, she was at church, and the pastor there at her church made a kind of comment about, well, look, you know, wherever we were on this, you know, we need to come together and we want to show our uh, brothers and sisters who are from Europe that, you know, they're still welcome. And they, you know, I thought... Give it a rest. It's a bit cheesy. Come on. I mean, let, let's not exaggerate. Well, you know, in hindsight, yeah. that they all knew, they knew what it was about. I thought, yeah. what are they doing? I mean, that's a bit over the top. Come on. 
No, they, they knew exactly what it was about. So my mum is, is somebody who's directly affected by this. But I, I am too, because I'm a cross-channel commuter. Mm. I'm a cross-channel commuter. And um, the city, it, it's not a directly citizens' rights. It's actually more of a... a, 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 it's more of a uh, an internal market issue, I think, actually, the way it affects me. But, you know, I travel twice a week through the Channel Tunnel and um, getting through that tunnel quickly in under an hour is absolutely essential for me to be able to maintain the lifestyle that I live, which is, you know, having a family, uh, kids, partner back in the UK that, um, you know, I'm, and I want to play a full sort of part of family life. But having to work over here, and, and also I want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to do a fairly decent job over here in between tweeting and podcasting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, this affects all of us in all sorts of different I'll ways. Stefan Durego agreed with you on something today on Twitter. So. Yeah, I'm always a bit worried with that. You know, it's like, <laughs> ooh, you know, because uh, <laughs> ooh, he's paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Careful there. <laughs> but he, at least he agreed with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on. So you were yes. So you're you're just talking about blocks to move. No, I just was feeling left out. I wanted to. No, but you were. <laughs> no, but it is important because you were you were effectively sent here by the British government as well. I mean, you were well, tra- you were trained by the British government yeah. to come and work in the institutions on behalf of the British government. Yeah, it used to be and that. Um, yeah, it used to be yeah. that our biggest grievance was that we were not we didn't have quite the same status as British diplomats. You know, working directly for HMG in terms of things like. Um, uh, you know, I, I used to worry that my kids being born abroad, if they, if their kids were born abroad, if my grandchildren were born abroad, they'd lose the right to British nationality. Whereas if you're, if, if, if you're overseas on Her Majesty's service, uh, you get an exemption from that. And I thought, well, that's not fair. That should apply to us as well. Well, you know, I, w- I, wish, I wish I still only had those kind of worries, you know. We didn't realise how l- relatively lucky we were. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is that the... Such is the environment in the UK and also the way in which the media talks about things is that there's I think what a thousand British officials who work in the EU institutions. Yeah it's just under I think yeah. Um, and you sort of hear various things every now and then where they've been told they can keep their jobs but there's no career advancement but there seems to be absolutely no information for them no support nothing coming from the British government even. I mean well, I did a very good article on this. I need, to be very, I need to be careful about how I say this because I don't you know I'm well, not I don't work in institutions and I know Chris is going to come in on this in a sec but you know the way that I always think about this is in, in, this is not a value judgment, but it's just how I see this is that the three million in the UK are having an awful time because they've got a hostile immigration mm, environment, they've got this very prohibitive bureaucracy, they're dealing with a spike in hate crime, you know, which is denied by some people as mm. well, and there's very toxic environment. Um the Brits living in Europe, so the normal the normal people, the noni the non EU <laughs> workers, the civilians I'm being other civilians, exactly. We're overlooked and over there, and you're not even in the EU officials, the British EU officials not even in the picture. Well, well, you're you're embarrass- I mean you're an embarrassment then just rather you weren't yeah, there, I think. But also I, I think, you know, we I, I really don't think we should talk about EU officials, British EU officials, uh, and the details of your contract. <laughs> no, because I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, I, I think you know the world's smallest violin plays for us. I mean, you know, I, I think there's a much bigger picture issue here, which is affecting literally millions of people. And I mean, no, but I think the I think the point uh, the point I was making about it, though, really, is that you went here because you went here. The the, gov- the British government helped you to do this. It was something they encouraged you to do, and the rights that we had as EU citizens encouraged us if we wanted to to do these things and this you know to 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 move to where we want we weren't doing something weird we weren't doing something different we weren't doing something odd 
we were doing something, so we were doing something you, entirely, but, entirely normal for EU citizens. Well, because are you talking about this in the context of being government officials? No, no, I'm talking about this about, about, yeah. about, about no, Brits in Europe. But I think you're actually completely right, because one of the things that we often see is that this always gets, whenever we do a media article or whenever we put stuff out, it's always like you bunch of Ramonas. Yeah. You know, there's this assumption that you're just a bunch of anti-Brexit people and that anything that you say about... You would say that, wouldn't you? You would say that, wouldn't you? And, you know, know, in our group, certainly, I I think you'd be hard-pushed to find anybody who was pro-Brexit. But there are, you know, there are British people who live on the continent who voted for it. I'm not getting into that. But the point is, this isn't about leave or remain anymore. This is about justice and doing the right thing for people who acted in good faith to build up their lives in Europe. And a lot of the time what we see is they say, well, if I move to Australia or if I move to the US, I, you know, I have to sort of fit in with what happens there or you take the nationality. And it's like, no, the whole point about being an EU citizen is that it extends your existing rights. And it's like changing the game of it's like changing football, the rules of a football yeah, yeah, game yeah. halfway through the match. And only telling exactly. one and only telling one team. Yeah, and only telling one team, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or change you know, so it, it's very but I think it's to do with ignorance as well, but that it, but it's not just about complaining or saying, Oh well you, you moved, get over well, it because you, you have all sorts of You're issues. having the rug pulled out it's from underneath of you. And not only that, let's talk for a second about the hiking of the price for um, for, for giving up your UK nationality. Oh, Christ, this is unbelievable. This is outrageous. As if yeah. people want to do this, you know I mean? Well, and also, the giving up your nationality, There's most a lot of countries in Europe do allow dual nationality, but there are a few that but don't. not Netherlands being most important. Well, the Netherlands for doesn't for Brits. The big one is Spain. Okay, but I don't think Germany does either. No, Germany does, but it only allows them for EU or is it EEA? I ah. can't remember. I think it's EU. Yeah, so um, it may change. It will change. So basically, we've got German relatives. My brother-in-law's mm. in this situation. His mother is German. His father's Austrian. You can't get it in Austria. Um, if he doesn't manage to get his application in but and approved by 2019... He will at some point have to choose between yeah. his British and mm. German potentially, mm. but Spain is a particularly big one as well because there's three hundred thousand Brits, yeah. conservative estimate, living in there. They don't do dual nationality in Spain for most other countries. I mean, it's for like South America and Portugal mm. or something along those lines, and they do it for Spaniards, but it's not available to Brits. Okay, so dual nationality is not available. It's also not a magic bullet, which we'll talk about no, a no. moment later on, but it's not available. Now, if you are a Brit living in Spain you, and you want to go through the process of becoming a dual, there's probably a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. It takes time. It's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. And on top of that, it would require you to give up your British nationality, which, let's take this back a step, if you needed to return to the UK Precisely. in later life, you would have to come in as a third country national yeah. In a hostile immigration exactly. environment that doesn't want you there, so can you or imagine? If your parent, or if your your parents are sick or a family, that's what exactly what I mean. Look after them, yeah. And, your you, parents, you, and it means your ch- any children you have after that one. You would have, have to right immigrate back, emigrate back to your own you country. Back, yeah. How nuts yeah. is that? And they're going to lose voting rights, and so they're exactly, going to be disenfranchised. So that's yeah. exactly, and it's not unusual. I mean, that's exactly what's happened to me. I when I moved to Brussels to work for the EU, I set up my life here, and I bought a house here, and I had my kids here, and I did not expect to be moving back to the UK um, but it, it wasn't an issue because I thought well I, you know I can if I want to and indeed life circumstances happened and I did end up you know moving my centre of interests back to the UK but if that had happened in a context where I'd lost my British nationality yeah, um, I'd be screwed well, basically what it is is the EU citizenship um, 
confers a huge number of rights on mm. different people. I mean, the analogy I always use is it's like Jenga, which is that people in the UK or people who don't know very much about the EU often assume it's just about the right to remain and work in the country that you're in. It's not. EU citizenship offers so much more than that, like taking family members, right of establishment, ability to work cross borders, all this kind of stuff. And if you pull one piece out, and in this case, in our case, it's going to be probably free movement. That's what's the big thing that's up in the air. It means your life comes down. It's not that you have a complicated life. It's that things become more complicated once you take away those rights. And I think that's very difficult for a lot of people to understand. But it does come back to the fact yeah, that it's not about real, preferences. It's this, about how it, your life is arranged. Yeah, it's about how your life is arranged. It's not a luxury. Exactly. No, we're not talking about country hopping here. We're actually mm. talking about keeping families connected and supported and being able to work and support themselves. Mm. Mm. And I think that's the missing at the moment. No, indeed. I, I work with a, um, a group, as you know, called Final Set for All. Um, which are particularly trying to draw attention to people who, who Brits in the UK, who Brits in the EU who weren't allowed a, a vote, who fell full, foul of the 15 year rule. Um, and, and also, I mean, they're, they're, they're not a, they're not a citizens' rights organization. They're an anti-Brexit organization. Yeah. Well, we have anti-Brexit. I mean, we, I know they talk, they've, they've, they've talked with you guys and stuff, but it's a, it's a, a kind of different approach. Um, but, just, can I just intervene here? Yeah, we, th- we estimate that about 60%, if not more, of Brits living in Europe couldn't vote in the referendum because yeah. either they were mm. born out of the UK mm. or they'd lived outside for too long. So I just want to throw that out there just to remind people that when the ludicrous referendum franchise yeah. was designed, that when you know people say, oh, suck it up, you lost, you left, it's like, well, no, we didn't get a vote over our own future. No, so it was so a how anti-democratic is that? Hmm. Most people on the continent couldn't vote in a referendum about a, a direct, direct, feel it more directly than everybody else. No, exactly, yeah. and the same for the uh, and the three the million. million. Yeah, no, no, and I mean, I, on this, you can. There's two approaches you can take to to the suffrage. You can be like Scotland and uh, use residency and say everybody in, in the Scottish independence referendum, mm. resident, legal residency in Scotland was the only. Uh, uh, thing you needed to, to qualify to uh, to vote in it, and those who didn't live in Scotland were were excluded from the suffrage. Um, or you can take the citizenship approach, and you can say, okay, well, it doesn't matter whether you live here or not; it matters whether you're a citizen, which I think is what the French mm-hmm. take. They have overseas most mm-hmm. most That's European true. countries have it because they recognise it. But I think there's entirely good. But I think there's entirely good arguments for either. But you have to choose one of them. You can't have neither. I mean, this it, it is, doubles, this is Jerry, if you don't have either, that is, Jerry, that is gerrymandering yeah, suffrage. You double dipped it. You yeah. double dipped it to exclude a certain group of people who were statistically more likely to vote a certain way. Because and they would lose right as a result. That's of fucking gerrymandering. gerrymandering. Sorry, but yeah. that's fucking. And any, you know, wait for the Venice Commission or someone to come and do an analysis. I'm being uh, patted on the back by Laura because you can see I'm. <laughs> Angry about this. I'm really angry about yeah, this. No, we were, right, and we fucking should be. Absolute outrage. It, it is, and it's also, um, you know, I find it very therapeutic working with British in Europe in some ways. I mean, it's distressing in the sense that I'm annoyed that people are being expropriated, and I also feel that. There are a lot of people, you know, we haven't even talked about vulnerable groups yet. We haven't talked about disabled Brits Mm. living on the continent. We haven't talked about younger people. We haven't talked about the elderly or carers. I mean, all these people are going to have problems if they need to go through a settled status. Yeah. yeah. Should I say the word constitutive? I think that's the word. Basically, if if the EU 27 decide, I mean, they won't do it as a block, but they have the choice. 
because of what the UK wanted for EU citizens mm. in the UK, they could make them. They could make us if they wanted to reapply for our, all our rights here. Yeah. Rather than just declaring it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're disabled, you're a carer, and you've never had to do. I mean, I know you're nodding away. I'm going to just get to this point because I know you agree. These are the people who are not going to be able to do yes, this because yeah. they won't have the legal yeah. documents in place. They won't have the requirements. And there is no representation. And we understand that there's only five people in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office who are dedicated to dealing with the consular aspects of Brits living mm. in the EU27. But Brilliant. this is not me having a pop at the FCO. I think it's a resource issue. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. a resource issue. They need more money. So this is actually a big love to the FCO. It's not a criticism of them. So, consular services. Well, they're not the most interesting subjects in the world. I don't know. I know some interesting people who work in consular services. No, so consular services. Seriously, talking about consular services, hey, um, and resources dedicated to it by the UK. Hey, guess what? Under the Lisbon Treaty, as an EU member state, we, any EU citizen, any citizen of an EU member state can use, can make themselves, um, can, can take advantage of consular services of another EU member state uh, in any third country if they need to. Um, I mean, I, you better run that by the lawyers. But it's no, something along those no, lines. Basically, we have access to the consular services of 28 EU member states um, wherever we happen to go in the world. Right? Post-Brexit... But the UK has never cared about that because, ah, <laughs> oh, well, we've got... But we've got consular... Consul- consuls wherever we need it because we're, we're a proper country well, we're not like those little foreign countries that only have a handful we've got proper ones so we don't care about that which is fine if consular services are resolved properly yeah well so when it comes to dealing i mean one of the things that we haven't talked so much about is the registration situation for british people living on the continent after brexit and there's been this all this talk about the the uk setting up this new settled status scheme for Europeans, which is supposedly as easy as opening your LK Bennett store card or whatever it was. that If if you've got an Android phone. If you've got an Android phone, it's really easy. But the UK, rightly or wrongly, has been preparing for this for a year. I'm not going to get into the whys and wherefores of that. But we're still waiting on the continent to find out what the EU27 has in mind for us. But as of December, they have the option to get us to do the same thing, to reapply for our rights to remain here, which means supplying documents, not just remain, our rights generally. And they actually have the, op- they ha- they have the option not to do that. They have the option, they have the option not, not to do, to do anything special for Brits at all. Actually. Yeah, they have mm-hmm. the option not to do it. But what I'm, what's, this point is that there's, there's potentially, and I say potentially because we don't know yet, but there's potentially a registration headache coming up, I think, is the euphemism for it. (laughs) And at the moment, there are only five dedicated consular staff to help Brits, the one million Brits living in the EU27, five FCO staff. So there's a massive resource issue here because they're doing a great job, but you can't can't have five people dealing with one and a half million people's problems. No, no, absolutely. Especially not in, I mean, uh, I've heard stories in France of different communes giving different advice. Well, part, um, yeah. and, and but also Brits being told they just have to go to the they just have to go to the to the commune and do whatever. Do well, whatever this is the, partly this is also because France is like the UK. It doesn't historically it hasn't had a registration scheme. You don't have to do it. I mean, mm. we're actually quite lucky here. Yeah, because we've already got. We're ID in the system. Yeah, yeah we're, we're in the ID cards. I mean, that's a separate discussion for another time. Yeah. And I'm sure Ian Dunn would hate to have this. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's the point is that if you're in the system, then it could be relatively straightforward to, to just tweak it and say, right, here you go, you're already there. But France doesn't have that. 
But then there are also issues around that. I mean, so people, I, I obviously know a lot of musicians and people who work in, in music and sort of related creative stuff. And lots didn't come here to live initially. Lots came here to do a couple of gigs and, you know, like, liked it and hung around. And as, by, by our nature, you know, lots of people who do this kind of stuff are quite itinerant. So if you come here as a musician and uh, you're not in full-time employment, you're just you're looking for looking for 150 euro gigs where you can get mm. them. Your first port of call isn't isn't the commune. You know, no. the, the first thing you do isn't isn't to isn't to go and register. You know, you're li- you're living on someone's floor and looking for gigs and trying. Maybe you're trying to find work, but you don't re- you don't necessarily register as unemployed because you're a musician. And so I know people who who've been here a long time but didn't regularize. Maybe they, you yeah. can say okay, they should have done, but still the reality is they didn't regularize being here for 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 quite a long time. And then armed won't have this automatic well also it's not automatic i mean the, but they won't ha- won't necessarily be able to take belgian they've not built up right because they haven't yeah. bu- because i haven't built because i haven't built up rights and actually the same goes for me because i was a diplomat even though i've been in belgium for 13 13 years um my five years only begins uh when not only when i stopped being a diplomat but mm. when i was taken off the register mm. of diplomats yeah. which mm. I wasn't in any particular necessary yeah, hurry to do so because my wife's in full-time employment and I wasn't yeah. claiming benefits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's, as you said, it's the rug being pulled under. And I'm glad you actually mentioned this point about um, itinerant and registration because one of the things that we see with a lot of our members, um, you know, I gave the figure before about 80% of people being working age or younger. The under 30s in particular... The nature of modern work, you know, the gig economy, short-term yeah, contracts, it's very normal for people to... Uh, to move around because that's how the the work requires. Them. Of course, so for, for, you can't, you don't course. register in a commune because the commune says, "Well, how long are you?" Or the local council because they say, "Well, how long are you going to be?" Well, I don't know. I don't know. Then they're like, "We can't be bothered with that." Then, and if, if you don't have a full time job, or you're not, or you're not trying to register for uh, benefits, yeah. Um, you act, in Belgium, you have to do one of them. Yeah. It's not optional to register yeah. for benefits. You actually have to register for so benefits. You, so. you, there's two yeah. things here. There's the registration and then there's the movement yeah. issue. And it's the under, it's always young people yeah. who get overlooked in negotiations. And we're seeing that quite a lot. Chris, yeah. you should say something. <laughs> should I? <laughs> Someone who I'm wants to make some young people. I thoroughly agree. <laughs> <laughs> I thoroughly agree. <laughs> I was young once. And it, no, but it's, 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 it's lots and lots of industries. I mean... People go. People. It happens in software. It happens in uh, other creative industries. That people go and do a few days' work for somebody, and they say, "Hang on, actually, we've got more work next week if you hang around, yeah. or we've got another gig for you next week if you hang around, or we've got these other things we'd like you to do." And yeah, like you yeah. say, the, the the gig gig economy. We, well, we've got we've got Helen in the French Alps, who is the caterer who works from her home in the winter, yeah. and in the summer they make they move, they go and work in other EU countries. We've got Victoria in Budapest, who runs an. Ent- Entertainment companies sound so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's children's parties and face painting, but the point is, and it's the same with Helen, and it's probably the same with you and your friends, and it's actually relatively similar with my business, is that bookings come in at short notice. You need to be able to go... You know, I mean, again, I'm sorry, I'm mentioning Ian Dunn twice in this, in this, but, you know, he said, teach your kids about free movement or what it's not like to have it. Make them fill out a form when they go from the kitchen yeah, to the yeah, sitting yeah. room. That's what it's going to be like for Victoria, this, for Helen, for Steve, for me. You won't get the job. Free movement. Yeah. This is why it is one of the fundamental freedoms. What's the point of the EU if you don't have these fundamental freedoms? What, what, what? What does it look like if we don't have freedom of movement? What's, what's the point of being able to move a fucking widget 
we can't move people. All right, can we talk about something else though? Because this is when you get people going. Well, you do that when I start getting angry. <laughs> no, because actually, what I wanted to Changing talk about was the bust of it. You know, this whole kind of oh, but it's uncontrolled immigration, and you would say that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Because you've moved yeah. around and it's benefited you. But your free movement has come at the price of our depressed wages. I snort. No, no, I'm depressed at the job. So let's. We, we live in Belgium. Let's talk about what Belgium does to manage mm. free movement. So when I first got here, I wasn't working because I set up a business. So my husband and I had this incredibly painful experience down at Brussels 1000 Commune. Are oh, you familiar oh, with it? I this? am familiar with it. It's yeah. like the Hall of the Dead in Beetlejuice. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it, horrendous. It's Catch-22 in a building. Or, yeah. or let's another one, Ellis Island. Mm, you know, yeah. I mean, it's awful place. Oh, no Not all of Brussels 1000, we're just talking specifically about the Maison de Tron. Ma- <laughs> is this going out after I've got my Belgian nationality? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the point is, we went down there and we had to register me and I, because I wasn't working, he had to prove sufficient means that he was paying for me to be here. Mm. Yeah, because you have, you know, and after three months, they can ask you to leave. Despite being an EU citizen. Despite being an EU citizen. The point is that there are still checks on that. Yeah. And I remember this very well because the terminology in the documents is that I was his concubine. concubine. <laughs> no. Yes. So I was my husband's concubine. My boyfriend. Well, my ID card says, says foreigner. As yeah, well, which I but was I was his concubine, which obviously you can imagine he loved. And I was, <laughs> I was very down on Belgium as a whole as being here. But the point is he had to prove he could pay for me mm. because we had a registration scheme and it was really easy to do. Germany does. I can't remember what it is that Germany does on how they manage free movement. And it's not about giving immigrants or migrants well, from the EU a hard system. time. It's just basically saying who's in the system. Yeah. Yeah. And like when I had a baby here, I had to show my ID card. And I was in advanced labour when I went into hospital. They weren't, I didn't have to show my ID card because they were going to say, can you pay? It was because that, it was actually more for medical reasons. Mm. If there's yeah. a problem, they need everything to be able to pull up all your records. I did not feel that it was a violation of my civil liberties in any way to have to sh- to flash my ID card when I went to hospital. But that's because of how this system here works. And it's so also because our, it's also because the system. We know that the system here is pretty shambolic between agencies and communes and stuff. It really is. Yeah. But on ID cards, it's not. But the point is that that I think the 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 chances of all of the Belgian agencies getting together to monitor me. For 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 mal reasons, is relative is re, is relatively low, basically because they wouldn't be able to administratively do it. Well, yes. So the argument for having ID cards in general, I think, is a good one as long as you have as long as you have that. Are you familiar the with idea, the Estonian example? But the idea of get that, but I understand why people are would not be in favour of giving this government. Well, Bi- biometric, smart chipped ID cards yes, to control people. I would I mean, not so like I to give the you know, Tories. I, I would not like to give this government anything. I mean, this this is where I'm going to say my bit where I get really angry. My my view on Brexit is regardless of what happens to my rights, what happens to the security of Europe. I've always thought that if you looked at the people who wanted to lead, wanted us to leave the EU, they are the kind of people who are not interested in rights. They're no. not interested in freedom. It's about taking back control for them. Not yeah, not totally. to coin a phrase. It's coin a phrase. Totally. Silly. I think it's a right-wing co. Right-wing co. Right, yes, they are. A right-wing, That's co- a, a, right-wing, well. a right-wing highland co. Yeah. And this is what I always, you know, for me, I did feel this a lot during the referendum campaign, is that a lot of the time I thought was a lot of my 
passionate pro-Remain zeal more to do with who was leading well, the Brexit that, charge than anything else. Me, yeah. That's what led to my yeah, uh, complacency. Are we going to get sued for saying right-wing coup? No, no, I, no. I, I, I felt, true, I felt at the, the time thing. that there was no way that Leave was going to win because it was so obviously <laughs> a right-wing plot. It was so obviously <laughs> associated with the far right that people would see this and they would... I thought that by association with UKIP and the far right, Leave would have to lose. So, and that was where I was so naive and desperately wrong. But is this, is this where I can bring in my pro-Brexit friend? Um, yeah. So, you have a pro-Brexit friend. What, thank you. So here's the thing. I, I, think mean, I, I don't have one of them. Right. So what works that? Um, so I have a very close friend uh, who's about 20 years older than me and we are very, very good friends and I couldn't speak to him for two years because he voted for Brexit. Obviously. Yeah, well, you, right, but listen to your response. And we argued a lot during the referendum campaign about it and we are very close so we could say whatever we wanted. He actually thought it was never going to happen, right? But he didn't vote leave because he thought it wasn't going to happen. He had his reasons. Mm. They're not odious. Did he have legitimate concerns or did he have good reasons? Well, uh, <laughs> We've had this conversation. We, no, there's shit reasons. <laughs> I don't. Are legitimate concerns? Then? Okay. But it's not immigration. And he's, it's not immigration. He's not a sovereignty headbanger. Okay. So it's not those. It's two. not legitimate concerns. Okay. Right. It's more. He thinks anyway. It's about federalism in general. Whatever you want to get. But I don't want to talk about his reasons for it. That's why Chris thinks they're bad reasons. Triggered. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but the, the reason I'm but the right, reason I'm trying to say this is because I remember saying, "Well, what about Michael Gove? What about Michael Gove?" <laughs> you know, during the referendum campaign, he's like, oh, he's a shyster, it's got nothing to do with it. And this is what I found very difficult, is to me, I was like, these it's people are so objectionable. Yeah. Well, no, but he was viewing it as, well, they're coming anyway, I hate them, oh, but this has nothing to do with my reasons. And that was one of the things that's so difficult about having a binary vote, is that everything gets sucked into that. And for me, my friend who voted to leave, he thinks that vote leave for a bunch of shysters. Mm. He really does. Shysters or shysters? Shysters. Can't stand Boris Johnson. Well, stop promoting them. Well, but he doesn't. Think, but he doesn't think he is. Mm, yeah. And that's the problem that you have with the binary vote: is that everybody's decision gets massively compressed. And on citizens' rights stuff, if I bring it back to this, when I explained to him what our situation was, he got very angry. He wrote to his MP. He's done. <laughs> well, this is what I was saying about. Thanks. This is what I was saying about the, the final say for all group that I'm involved in. This is um, like in limbo. This has been about specifically telling individual stories because what we found is that actually, however people voted. When they hear individual stories, they're appalled. They're really appalled. They're yeah. really appalled. And the okay. story that always gets. Oh, we didn't like, mean you. Yeah, and you <laughs> know, you're a good immigrant. Sweet. You're a good expat. But the um, the story that always gets is, which covers loads of the ground we've talked about. Actually, is uh, Nikki, who founded the organisation, uh, who has a, a long-term sick husband who's Dutch, um, and aged relatives, aged parents in the in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so to take Dutch citizenship, she would have to lose UK citizenship and she wouldn't be able to go back to care for her parents with her husband because there's no way that he would, they, they would meet the income, yeah, the oh, income, well, the required income levels. Oh, so she has to make a decision before Brexit about which one to pick and then she's stuck with that. And then she's stuck with that decision. You know, there's also the situation that the UK government hasn't made it clear whether or not British citizens who might need to return to the UK after Brexit can come back with their EU or non-EU spouses. Where's mm. your wife from? Did you say she's Irish? No, she, oh, hell, I mean, she has an Irish passport now. Oh, she has oh, an Irish okay. passport now. She's All recently right. Irish. But if I were married to a Spaniard, 
Yeah. It wouldn't be clear if I needed to go back to the UK whether we could go as a family. No, absolutely, absolutely. So she may, might have to make a, cha- a choice between looking after her, yeah. uh, looking after uh, looking after her sixth spouse or looking after her parents. But you see, I think what we need to do though is turn the lens around on this because usually what you get from Brexit is saying, "Well, why should you have these rights? People in the UK don't have these rights." And it's like, yes, let's talk about the. Well, UK. they do if they have a, Bel- <laughs> if they have Bel- a Belgian partner and and and. And we're talking about his in-laws in Belgium. They do. They did have those. Laws. Yes, That's they did. The but, they don't, but the point. But I think what let's talk about is let's not say well, why should you have more rights than anybody else? Like no, let's turn it around and say why. Let's look at the UK system, which punishes people Precisely. for having a family mm-hmm. that doesn't all come from the same town. But then, which it does, okay. which it actively does. I this is this is yes. this is yeah. going to this is going to get me off on one of my little. But, I mean, Shall we get the gym? Horses. I think we, let's crack out the gym because I've got a hobby horse here, which is and the, we are expats. This is this is this is something <laughs> and the sun is going down. really yeah. great with me about um, about British political society and political discussion, which is that it's always about well, well, you shouldn't have that because we don't have it. And you, you, so it's stuff like holiday, for example. Holiday entitlement, or the number of bank holidays, or working, or the length, length of lunch hours, or well, <laughs> look at look at the quality of life in the rest of Europe. Look at the quality of life across the EU, and compare that to the way in which people live in the UK. And what what astonishes me is, you know, a people don't seem to know about it. Seem to, under, but, but b then when you do tell people about that, it's like. Well, that's outrageous. They shouldn't live like that. They, they shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed. To, they know, shouldn't be allowed. Should, to have yeah, they shouldn't. They shouldn't have a better life than us. Yeah, no. they should all have a worse life. That just goes to show what an awful place the EU is because they're all on some sort of gravy train. What the fuck, you know? But I think they've shown up something really deep in the British psyche. Actually, there was a great thread the other day about uh, Trump. I can't remember who it was, but we'll post a link to it. Um, about uh, that means me. Uh, that means Chris will post a link to it. Um, about uh, about Trump and the mentality, the mentality yeah. that, that he thinks if he thinks if someone else is prepared to accept a deal, it means yes. you, haven't, you haven't fucked them hard enough. <coughs> yeah, they're, they're getting, the they must the be getting the cowboy yeah. hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they must be getting something. That they must be screwing you, and you're not realizing yeah. it. And actually, I think what we've seen with all of the negotiations here, particularly from the ERG, but also still in the cabinet and government, is that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the UK gets. It just matters that they are seen to make the EU lose. Yeah. And this is completely the wrong way to go about it because obviously, I mean, we all know that there's no uh, there's no real win win in this situation. But there is a way to there are ways to to mutually minimise the losses. Yeah. And actually, the the way for both sides to get the best outcome is to is to is to minimise minimise the losses. But to do that, you need both sides to be play, playing to those rules. And the UK simply hasn't been. The UK mm. has been playing to the rules that, well, we've seen it with uh, whistle for it and mm. <laughs> comparisons to Nazi commandants and so on. These are not the actions somebody who's looking, for, looking to, 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 to minimize, minimize the impact. No. These are people who are uh, going out thinking that the, what you do in a negotiation is you go out and you screw the other guy to the wall. Yeah. And the Russians use this and, as well. And the result of it is that you come out with a worse outcome than you would have come out with. Because instead of focusing on your objectives, you focus on killing the other side. Yeah, it's pure lose-lose. It's, it's, pure, it's lose-lose. pure lose-lose. Um, have we applied this to citizens' rights? 
Excuse me. Which should be, which should be the 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 primary minimize mutual minimization but also, harm we, well, area. We you know we said let's talk about how we got here. One of the reasons why British people living in Europe are in the situation that they're in is because of the EU the UK's negotiating position, mm. which is that they wanted to make life much worse for the EU citizens living in the UK and to be much tougher on things like the ECJ and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And as a result, we've been negotiated into a terrible position. Now, and any other point in history, the, the messing around of one and a half million people, British citizens living on the continent, would be a source of outcry, you know, cry for sure. the telegraph, hmm. the mail. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, the UK went to war in the 80s for, what, 25,000 yeah. citizens, hmm. British yeah. citizens yeah. In, the, in the Falklands. Exactly. But, the, but we are the... Um, because they want to screw the EU... Then they don't care about they us. They don't care about us because it's no. actually not... We are... Calc- no, and I mean, this is, I've got stuff back. And right. I know this is going to sound controversial, and we're going, no, no, they do care about you a bit. Well, I've, no, no, but I've got this back for insiders mm-hmm. about um, uh, when I've when I've talked to them about uh, uh, freedom of movement. What I've got back is we were waiting for the UK to ask for this. We're still waiting, and the UK never, the UK never, the UK never really asked for it. Now they said they said that the they said that our people were bargaining chips. And therefore, we're working on the basis. Of, we're be- working on the basis of reciprocity. Well, so until they said, we're not going to hand it over, we're not going to hand it over to them. But of course, we talk about it. Can well, I just put in the plea here, please, Theresa May, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are. I'm sure she listens to. Kate. Yeah, I'm sure I'm she listens. Theresa May, please, please, can you ask for free movement in the in the summit in June? It would be an easy win, and it would actually help you to salvage something from the sorry mess of that is the customs union and the Northern Irish border. Please ask for it for your one and a half million global Britain ambassadors on the continent. Right. I had a, I had an anecdote. It was slightly out. Slightly, was it, from it, 10 it, was, it was from ago. 10 minutes ago, but <laughs> you, you, you lot wouldn't let me get a word in. But um. <laughs> Sorry. Shouldn't have let me on. So when, 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 um, when the referendum happened, for the first few months, we had every month. We had uh, a couple of people come from the UK embassy, from the from the UK permanent representation, came to talk to British officials in the in the EU institutions, uh, and they stopped after a few months. But um, when they came, it was very interesting. They came with a very odd set of speaking <coughs> notes. They would come and they would tell us uh, with great pride how they had now got. Uh, a negotiating position and how well they were doing in preparing for Brexit and how well negotiations were going as if we were some kind of <laughs> as if we didn't know as what if the deal we cared. was <laughs> as if we gave us a, a Castro a and the tractor speech tell us something that we want to hear you're a traitor we, maybe that's why they don't come and talk to maybe us maybe that's why they don't come and talk anymore <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it isn't that telling. It no, just—it's so telling that there's just there was just this real blindness to the genuine issues of the people actually at the at the at the sharp end of what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Well, imagine if you're the lady living in a rural Spain, hmm. you know, who's looking after her disabled kid who's British, and she's mm. at the sharp end of it. At least yeah. there, yeah. I know, oh, yeah. I appreciate. No, no, it's true. I mean, the people, the people we know are equipped and trained with the skills to manage their way through bureaucracies. Yeah. Even though I'm absolutely, well, I'll be right. You know, one way or the other, well, certificates, mm. but um, but yeah, they're trained for it. I mean, and, where's that called? Well, it's the misconception about what Brits in the EU, are, the British in the EU, are, 
Well, I listen, like it's it. one of the. I'm going to say, it, and a journalist who will remain unnamed in this room did her. You know, I got a message passed sort of casually to me via another friend of mine saying, "Why is it that everybody from your organisation sounds really posh and middle class?" Is this the same journalist as I was going to go out last week? I better do. I it better might is. well be. I <laughs> and I want to say, well, does it begin with a B? It might. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm saying nothing more. <laughs> You know, and I would just like to say, well, it's not really surprising that we all sound, if you like, posh and middle class. And actually, we don't because we've got someone from Barnsley in the organisation. We don't do accents on this podcast. Okay, from Barnsley. um, It's not really surprising that people who have good jobs and a relative degree of financial security and know their rights and are potential and are friends lawyers, with lawyers and are friends <laughs> with lawyers or journalists or have contacts and they're the ones that are fighting but the point is that at least we're fighting for everybody yeah. and it's precisely the people who have vulnerable dependents so the lady in Spain with the son with Asperger's mm. or the guy in France who's disabled and by the way if he loses his benefits in a no deal scenario which you get guaranteed because of reciprocity at the moment Sorry, just to take let's talk. About, let's talk about no, no deal briefly. Like, let's talk about no deal. All right, we'll talk about. This, can I just finish what I was going to say? Mm. The point is that we fight for the, everybody, who, but we know it's precisely the people that you want to hear on the radio or on the TV who won't come and do it because they're really, really worried about what will happen. Mm. And it's the gobby people who know lawyers who have contacts who come out and do it. Now on no deal, yes. So what? Well, what happens to? I mean, this is all depend. All of the rights that we've talked about are dependent on the withdrawal agreement. It's a political agreement, no deal, not a legal agreement. Yeah, and if there's no, but if there's no withdrawal agreement, i.e., a legal agreement, then there are no citizens' rights. There are no citizens' rights, and again, I need to be careful about the language that I use here. But I mean, you're in a situation where you become a third country national overnight with presumably no credit. You know, there's no legal rights in that country. So you are entirely dependent. You and I would be entirely dependent on the Belgian government decided. Yeah, it would be bilateral. To do with us. But it's not even before you... That assumes... No, but I mean, it would be be up to Belgium, not the EU, I mean. Yeah, well, yes, it would be up to Belgium to decide, but also we'd become, like, Americans, but also we'd be Americans. Oh, my God. Well, I'm half American (laughs) as well, but I don't want to go down that cul-de-sac right now. Um, But the point is, I don't want to use... I'm going to use, I'm going to say it, illegal immigrant. Yeah. Is that what we've become? And like, now, if this is where people, and I'm putting this out there, I don't know, but I do remember that during the referendum campaign, Without action, yes. I was told I was a liar and scaremongering for saying that this, the legal status of EU nationals in the UK would change on Brexit day <laughs> and that um, there was a chance they could be deported. And they said, oh, no, there's, you're scaremongering, you're lying, no British government would ever do that. And I said, I'm not talking about whether or not they would do it. I'm mm, saying that yeah. it is available to them mm-hmm. because they, don't, they lose all their rights overnight. And because that means, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't come in through immigration, they haven't come in through the other reasons. Same would be for us. Well, if there's no deal, you cease to be a citizen. You cease to be a citizen. Now, I want to talk about this guy that I was, this man that I've been in touch with who lives in France, who's disabled. Mm severely like almost like quadriplegic or something along those lines move to france because your small amount of benefits go further mm-hmm. better quality of life mm-hmm. weather all those sorts of things you get the carers all of this stuff is guaranteed from eu membership mm-hmm. so the exportability of benefits yeah. supposedly under the withdrawal agreement it would also be protected that you know he doesn't want to he doesn't need free movement he's not going to mm-hmm. launch a career in sound engineering no deal scenario Loses that, 
possibly has to come back to the UK. And because of the deal that Cameron renegotiated, or not Cameron, but because of the returning, mm-hmm. you, he doesn't meet the sufficient means test to show that he's got paying into the system. So he can't access the NHS for six months. Yeah. Well, he's so a benefit tourist. Because be, a British citizen yeah. couldn't access and I can't And I can't remember exactly what this is, but it's something to do with who accesses the system within six months. So I don't know the exact legal situation, but mm. the point is he doesn't have any money when he's coming back in. Yeah, yeah. So he is a sponge. So this would be a disabled person who was forced out of his home in France by a no-deal scenario, who then can't get the care that he needs when coming back yeah, to but the but no deal you know the response. But no of, deal is better than a bad deal. But you deal. know the response of the British um, extremists to that, with the Brexists to that, which is that, well, um, he's a benefits tourist, and, and the whole point of this is to get rid of people's funds on, on our system, and therefore, okay, so that's going to affect one or two people coming the other direction, but it's worth it. That's what they'd say. Okay. Well, let's say about everything about job lo- job losses. They said the same thing. Yeah. yeah, of course, we didn't put job losses on the side of the bus. There will be job losses, but it's worth it. Now, if, mean, compa- if, compassion were, if, if compassion were, if compassion compassion were an issue here, we wouldn't be. Well, we wouldn't be here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it Andrew Lilliker who said that we should just write the next ten years off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, write the next ten years off, but it'll be worth it. Yeah. 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 Listen. Um, we need to end speaking this. of uh, speaking of Andrew Lilico, uh, listen. I think we need to. We, we're going to go on about this. This is a typical Brussels evening, listeners, dear listeners. This is how we all get together on a on a, on a workday so evening. We do every night. Every night we go around to somebody's house, sit, we eat hummus, we eat hummus, and we talk about Brexit and get annoyed and drunk. And this is this is how we live. This is how the liberal elite live. Mm. We used to have fun instead, but we don't now. Yeah. We do this. This is what we do. (laughs) Yeah, listen, sorry, I know it's fun and we could go on for hours, but I think we need to draw a line under it. And I'm not even sure that we have time for our lie of the week this week, do we? Oh, do we have a lie of the week, actually? Uh, We do, but it's on my phone, which is charging somewhere else. Keep chatting while I go and get my phone. Well, let's do Let's. I'll set the music going for lie of the week, Chris. I don't believe you. Liar. Okay, right. Chris, Lie of the Week, what have we got this week? Well, before we start Lie of the Week, just for some very quick real-time feedback on the tweet that I did of the three of us sitting here eating hummus. <laughs> Amma Gagotia says, hummus, if you want a leguminous dip, what's wrong with mushy peas? <laughs> what was that? Who's how did he write, by the way, how did you spell that? That's very good. I like that spelling of it. That's if you good. want a leguminous dip, what's wrong with mushy peas? And there's leguminous a, dip. Didn't they? Uh, a, a true patriot. Leguminous dip were a synth band in Berlin <laughs> in the early eighties, weren't they? <laughs> they were on John Peel a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, I've got their session. <laughs> so anyway, lie of the week. Um, all right, first lie of the week is. I don't want it's a sort of lie. It's more of a kind of well, no, it's a lie. It's da- good old Daniel Hannan. He's, yeah, he's been on for legal reasons here, whether it's a lie or not. But I is potentially. Well, actually, important. no. It's the truth of the week, isn't it? It's the truth of the week. The truth. The of truth the of the week is that Switzerland is outside the common fisheries policy. It's true. It is. It is outside the common why, fisheries why do you policy. Think, why do you think that is, Steve? Hmm. Hmm. Let me think. Try and picture Switzerland in a map of Europe. Oh, yeah, but when they've got waterfalls and, and, and mountains. They do have borders across... They do actually Salmon have... Salmon must go up those... They do line. actually have uh, water... Bo- uh, uh, water boarding? No, <laughs> the fish of Swiss don't do water boarding. They're too rich for that. No, they uh, they have... Uh, they have 
Lake border patrol boats because the border goes across Lake Geneva and, and, and so they do actually have Lake Constance and many lakes yeah, they do actually lots have, of lakes so they do actually have um, a border border patrol boat does the CFP apply to lakes to, to lake I, fish I, I don't know actually that's, that's interesting for Northern yeah. Ireland because they have a huge lake yeah with lots of fish I don't think the CFP applies to lake fish I think it applies to fish I think it applies to fish wherever they may be no so maybe Dan fish, Hannan is, fish has got a wherever point they may here. be <laughs> Anyway, well, well, no, he has a point that the common fisheries policy doesn't apply to them. But what does he say about that? Well, he says that one of the reasons that Switzerland is so successful outside the EU is that it's in the, it's cherry picked the single market so that it's got all sorts of bits of it, but not the common fisheries policy. <laughs> that would have screwed it. The whole Did of he really say that? The whole of Switzerland, the whole Swiss economy would be ruined by them being in the common fisheries policy. It would destroy their banking sector. <laughs> he did actually really say that, yeah. It was, it was Lake not... Geneva, you know, it could get wiped out. Absolutely. But, I mean, no, he did say that. Yeah, he said that. He said that. And he said another thing this week, didn't he? He did. He, uh, and for the Dutch, he was in, interviewed on Dutch TV. Yeah, he, he thinks he'll get away with it on Dutch TV, I think. Yeah. But, obviously, we, we have a... <laughs> We have a Dutch speaker hey, who alert us to this kind of thing. You speak Dutch. Well, yeah, speak. I, I certainly don't. I can do it menu in Dutch. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he said that... I've got within there. Uh, he said that um, the, the, he was really amazed that the EU hadn't uh, given the UK <laughs> some sort of incentive to stay in the EU after the referendum, that the door was open and that he didn't, know, he didn't understand yeah, he, why the EU hadn't walked through that open door. I, in fact, I think he actually, he actually talked about the EU closing that door. Yeah. And, and what he meant by this was that the EU hadn't offered, basically, the EU hadn't given in blackmail. And what this showed was that, and, and offered a deal that, uh, that addressed the UK's I concerns. I think he was talking about, about cake, wasn't he? He was Steve. talking about cake, I think. But what this shows is that they never meant this to happen, listeners. Yeah. They never meant us to actually leave. They never did. They thought that it would be a good way to get some concessions. They yeah. thought it would be a good way to kick out a Johnny Foreigner and reduce freedom of movement or uh, or get, get some limitations some on it or get an emergency break on it, get special treatment, get more opt-outs. They never actually wanted this to happen. Some of them did. Some of them wanted this to happen. And they've got what they wanted, but we know that. But what this shows about people like Dan Hanan is that they never actually wanted this to happen. Because didn't he have an MEP with a lovely job, and he doesn't want that to happen? And speaking tours. And speaking, speaking tours. tours. Speaking tours. You mean people, people, people pay to go and hear him speak? Yeah, he was in some speaking tour in the US. You better check this. Oh, in the US, okay, that explains it. No, yeah. but I mean, the point is that this, you know, there are certain, there are career Brexiters. Oh yeah, okay. So there are career Brexiters, but also there are career Eurosceptics. Who, whose careers have been cut short by this victory that they didn't expect yes. to have. And I mean, oh, just we, talked about the, the, we talked about the UK, the UK uh, assistants were all up in arms and yes. they're going to lose their jobs but because the UK are going to have Are they be. really? Though? Yeah, it was do true. We, do we know this? No, it's true. Yeah, yeah, it was true. The UK assistants. Come on, don't start questioning us. And some no, of the, and some of the, and some of the UK... Actually, no, but, mm. Yeah, no, no, they were... They, no, no, they were my considered comment. No, they were, they were discussing what the office arrangements were going to be after the next elections. Yeah, <laughs> and then were very angry when they found out that they, that, that, that they wouldn't be there for for, the, for, the, for those uh, who are not That's here. What did they think would happen? Laura has just adopted a what the fuck. They, they thought that they thought that uh, transition meant that they would they would still be British MEPs. So they're like because, they're, because UKIP's line was well, transition's just the same as membership. 
we're not really leaving the EU if we have transition. So they took them at their word and thought they weren't really no, leaving the EU. To cut, if we have cut this point short, you, all you had to do was look at the faces of Michael Gove and Boris Johnson yeah, on the morning after. They the never wanted this. To know that this was not planned. They've been saddled with it and they're trying to disassociate themselves from it. Final lie of the week. I believe it's possible. But this is a, this is a whopper. This is a cracker. Um, but it is from a Hall of Famer, Lifetime Award, Achievement Award winner, Jacob Rees Mogg. So oh, it's yes. not admissible, really. But uh, Project Fear was wrong, is wrong, and will be wrong. Well, it's profound. Uh, it's profound, isn't it? I mean, that, that's, a, that's, an argu- that's an argument and a half. That's an argument and a half. But it's it? a tricolon, isn't it? So yeah. it's great. Yeah. But Latin, Chris, you should like that. Latin roots. Yeah, tricolon is making me think of... I've only got one thing. In enough. your colon, yeah, OK. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Project Fear was wrong, is wrong, and will be wrong. That's wrong. That explains the 50 EU companies coming and telling uh, Theresa May last week that uh, the UK was look, looked like a very, very bad prospect at the moment. Uh, that's obviously why. That's obviously why why it was a lie. Yeah. So well done, everybody. Well done, Brexiters, for all that. And, but thank you very much to uh, to Laura for being our second second guest, second but not second best guest. Okay, it's like Top Gear. Are you saying that you she's better than us your with boss? Post-it notes. No, I'm sorry. I'm saying that. I'm, uh, First among equals. <coughs> um, uh, <laughs> good point, Chris. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Um, I look forward to seeing the final product. Hearing the final. Yeah. You can't see it. Hearing, yeah. And uh, so, where can we find you? What do you mean? On Twitter. Well, Media Wiz. Media Wiz. Wiz with an H, which was a joke initially when it started but obviously I am great so, so it's technically media quiz 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 media quiz I'm actually <laughs> Spanish it's my you know, Spanish thing coming through don't say that because people media quiz and uh, yeah and so, what's the website for the one million for British in Europe www.britishineurope.org and you can also follow at British in Europe um, on Twitter which is fortunately I do not have control of that Twitter yeah. account we have somebody sensible on that <laughs> He doesn't swear or fight with eggs um, and just all launch ad hominem attacks, although it's quite feisty. Anyway, so please do follow us. We're a charming organisation. And um, yeah, and we're all volunteers as well. So we do this in our tiny amount of spare time. Thank yeah. you. Right now, we did promise to do some Ask Cake Watch this week, but we're going to break right, that promise again. yet again. Yeah. Yet another broken promise. Very Brexit. Chris, obvious, another yeah. broken promise. But we have got some really, I, I think we've got some very exciting news coming. We're not going to break it yet. It's, no, we're no, just no, going to leave it there potentially as, a little, got some very exciting as a little teaser. But we've got potentially some super exciting news about something coming up. And that's what we'll tell you about if it happens. Yeah. So um, I just had I just had two two things to highlight to watch for for next week is that the the EU withdrawal bill will be in the Commons yeah. next Tuesday. So yeah, for about the, thirty minutes. Tuesday as well for about for about for about half an hour. Um, and um, and also if you don't supermarket sweep, and if you don't already know about it, please sign up and go to the uh, the march for a fi- for I keep saying final several sorry for people's a people's vote. vote in London on the 23rd you can sign up I, uh, we can put the link put the link up yeah it's very very helpful to organise if you sign up and if you're going please try and get other people to go please yeah. bring friends along this is really this is really really important because this is this is potentially the last big progress the last big protest 
uh, before the the withdrawal agreement takes takes serious yeah. serious shape and so forth. Now, momentum is seriously building here, and I think that we are. I think we're beginning. We're riding the crest of a wave here, and I think that this is definitely one that we need to turn up for. Yeah, absolutely. And um, actually, me and Chris will be there as well. Definitely. Um, but think of that as you know, just you probably won't that's get into us. That's not. That's not a reason. Not. That's not a reason not to go because there'll be a big crowd and you can avoid us if you want to. So. Yeah, there might be a few other people there. Laura, are you going? I can't. I've got. To, I'm here for a fortieth birthday party that I cannot. I know. You were at the last one, I know, because I'm. I was which at the last I wasn't one, and we marched time. together, and I would love to go. It's not apathy. It's actually that I do need to go to this fortieth birthday party for a friend. Mm. So I would love to go. Um, Didn't we pass no judgment? No, that's fine. Foreign friend, no vocalised judgment. Anyway, <laughs> right. Um, you can catch me on Twitter at Ottercrat. At uh, Ottercrat. How do you spell it? Not, not, not Otter. Not, not Otter. <laughs> Otter. 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 Okay, how do you spell it, Chris? Otto. Crat. <laughs> and you can catch me on Twitter at Guitar Moog. How do you spell that? Guitar Moog. <laughs> And we hope to see you there. And we we promise we will do some ass cake watch uh, sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm going to stop saying next time because that just leaves us being promises. I promise we will one day do ass cake. Well, we've recorded it. All we have to do is flip and put it out. I know, but yeah, it's, it's a different project. Good night, Steve. Good night, Chris. Thanks very much. <laughs>